Lord God, we thank you for this time in your word this morning to study you, Lord, and to study your greatness, your power, the way that you work to make yourself known in all of the earth, to declare your glory, to exalt yourself. I pray, Lord, that, that you would just meet us here this morning and speak to our hearts. You, you know everything that we've ever been through in this life. And, and you know every step that's in the future for us. And, and I, I pray, Lord, that um, on this morning that you would just so kindly just minister to us, molding us more and more into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 9, we are going to look at the entirety of our text, um, being the, the chapter, and, and then we're going to come back and focus just on the first couple of verses of the, of the chapter. So let's read what, what's taking place here. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay. With the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the, the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Therefore, the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? Will you say he was, will you say, I'm sorry, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? The parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. 
He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him again, or him, and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The, the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind for some of the pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him are we blind also and jesus said to them if you were blind you would have no sin but now you say we see therefore your sin remains we needed to read the context of all that's taken place because it is a glorious story of what christ did you can imagine this young man um, being a, a baby, born blind, and, and going through his entire childhood into his teenage years and then into his adulthood being someone who had been born blind. Never had seen anything. Never saw light, never saw his mom, never saw his dad, never saw anyone at all. Not only that, but we see in, 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 in his life that it's just a life of hardship. He we're told, was one that they all had seen begging. So he's not in a position where he was born blind and everybody's just taking care of him and making things as comfortable for him as possible. He was born blind and then came to a place of begging in his life, just being on the corners, blind, begging for money, begging for food, begging for whatever it is that he could get just to, to survive. There's so much in this, this text, and yet... I wanted to focus just on the first couple verses here. where, And then over the next couple weeks, we'll be looking at the rest of the text. It tells us here that if, if you remember at the end of, of John chapter 8, Jesus had been cast out. They were picking up stones to throw at him. And it was at that point that, that he escaped and he, he left the midst of the religious leaders that wanted to put him to death immediately. And so he leaves that place and now it's the Sabbath. And it tells us that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. 
So here's this man, and he's there, and Jesus apparently stops and looks at this man who has been blind from the time that he was born. And the disciples see that Jesus has stopped and looks at this man, and the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned that this, that this man or his parents that he was born blind? They're looking at this man and, and seeing a, just, a, just a, a pitiful side of this beggar that's there that they know has always been blind. And their response is, who sinned, Jesus? Who sinned? Why is he blind? Why is he in, in this condition? Was it, was it he that sinned? Even while he was in his mother's womb? Was it he that sinned or was it his parents that sinned? Why would this come upon him like this? Why would this man be in a situation where the entirety of his life he was unable to see? Who sinned? And Jesus' response is one that I think is so vital for us to look at this morning. Jesus answers and says to them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Neither of them sinned in the sense of outrageous sin that resulted in discipline that would come upon them, that would result in a blind son or being born blind. Jesus is saying that's not why. That's not why he was born blind. He was born blind that the works of God should be revealed in him. He was born blind so that God and his work and his majesty and who he is would be revealed in this little child that was born blind, lived through his childhood years not seeing anything, not being able to play with his friends like the rest of the kids would have been able to play. Not being able to study like the other kids maybe were able to study. Being at a place where his parents are still alive, yet he's in a place of just begging for food, for money, for things. And Jesus is saying, that happened so that the works of God should be revealed in him. The, the subject matter for this morning is one that I know to be incredibly sensitive. I, as we look at a topic like we're about ready to look at this morning, um, it will affect different people in this congregation in radically different ways. Anybody that has a disability will look at a text like this differently, maybe than somebody that has not. Anybody that has had a child that has suffered in just incredible ways will look at a text like this differently than someone who has not. We, we, we think of those that God has put around our lives and those that we have come in contact with, maybe close, maybe further away, but there's questions that come into our minds as far as, why? God, why? Why? Why would you let this happen? Is it something that I did? Is this something, is this, 
is this something that I did that the result is this? Because I don't know of what it is that I did that was so, so horrific that it would result in this coming upon me or coming upon my family. We may look and, and see someone from a little bit of a distance and think, they're such good people. Why would that happen to those people? Why would someone so sweet have to suffer something like that? What took place? Why would that happen? And our minds start to to go in that direction. For me, I've I've spent a lot of time studying this problem of suffering and pain for a reason. I, I needed to. In the last, well, in my at least in my adult life, I've I, I've seen a, a lot of suffering. I think of my first mission trips to Romania and watching these babies that were there in crib after crib after crib, and um, they'd get picked up once a day to get their diapers changed. And you, you look at these little ones and um, they're like touching their face just trying to get some kind of stimulation. So different than what we would find within our infants here. Um, going to hospitals in Romania and finding rooms after room of people that just have had limbs amputated because that's what they did there um, in the early 90s. Spending time in, in 1998 in Sudan, where there was just some of the worst famine that, that has ever hit. I, going throughout areas of South Sudan where people were dying everywhere. The, there was not a hut that we could go into where there was not somebody that was laying there. And you could see every bone in their body. And there's flies covering their face. And they had been eating grass or leaves just trying to survive there was no food it was a war zone area and going in there and trying to give them vitamins and trying to give them high protein soup called unimix and just trying to give them some kind of nutrition and having the doctor say they're too far gone they're going to pass away today or tomorrow there's nothing that we can do at this point and then praying with them and sharing the gospel with them and then watching them die just in those first hours that we were there on the ground and then making dozens of trips into Sudan and seeing this over and over again, people with leprosy, going to leper colonies, being able to see people who were blind that had river blindness that caused it to where they're being led around by a little boy holding a stick and and seeing people with polio or other diseases where they just push themselves along on the ground because there's no wheelchairs, there's no roads, there's nothing like that. They're just pushing themselves along and their legs dragged behind and you, you see people just in horrific conditions in a place like that. Um, going to places like Sri Lanka after the tsunamis hit. And just your heart just breaking. I was there within just, I think, two days of the time that the tsunamis hit. And, and the devastation was, I mean, I can't even describe it. it, it, it Standing on beaches and having the people say, these were all houses here. And you, you move the, the, the sand away with your foot and you see foundation after foundation after foundation. And there's areas where, where you know, 
there was hundreds and hundreds of people living and they were just wiped away in, in, in minutes. Um, seeing a train that had been thrown dozens of yards away from the train track. And the, the hardest thing for me was looking at the little baby clothes. It, it, being told nobody survived on this train and just knowing like, that without a doubt, there's big little kids on this train. Their clothes are everywhere. Seeing people still under the water there as we were there trying to find the bodies that were there. Going down to, to Nicaragua during Hurricane Mitch and George that went through there and just seeing just devastation. Like you, you never knew water can do something like that. And, and then serving in pastoral ministries and being in a place of weeping with people. Being in a place of seeing people pass away where it was unexpected. Seeing people find out that there's disease that's there and finding out that, that there's children that are, are passing away or have passed away. Um, you just weep. And there, there, there comes a place where you, you want to... You, you want to have a, a, an understanding to some degree of, of why. Why would something like this take place? But my awareness of it brought me to where on the inside of my wedding ring is engraved the verses that come from um, Habakkuk 3, where it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And, and the reason why that, that, that section of verses is there here is because Tosh and I talked about it before we ever got married, just knowing that we, we have no idea what our next steps are going to look like. I mean, we, you get married and you think it's just, it's going to be just, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's going to be glorious. But just an understanding of providence, an understanding of life, watching other people live, where you're just knowing that there's times where the fig tree may not blossom, and there's going to be time where there's no fruit on the vines, and there's going to be time where the labor of the olive has failed, and the fields yield no food, and, and the flock's been cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stall. So, sweetheart, what are we going to do at that point? And to be at a place of, Yet, even at that point, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That is our commitment in this life, in this journey, in this race, is that even though we don't know all of the paths that we're going to take, and we don't know when there's going to be mountaintop experiences and when there's going to be valleys, and we don't know all that is in store for us, Tosh and I being at a place of our prayer is that we will yet find our joy, not in our circumstances, not in the bitter things that we will go through, but in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That will be the source of my joy, not circumstances. And, and I would put that like that, something like that in my ring because of just this, this knowledge that I have no idea of the next steps. And neither do you. And so you want to you look and say, what does the Bible say about such things? If you have a child that's born blind, what, is, what does God say about something like that? 
Is it a situation in which if God could have stopped it, he would have stopped it, but he couldn't because we live in a sinful world and there's Satan and there's him and there are battles that take place? Is that the circumstance or is he sovereign over the child that's being born, born blind? Being at a place of looking at these things and saying, God, when we say why, we want to at least have a, a solid biblical understanding of it. And I, I, I think that maybe it is that this isn't preached on all that frequently because it's, it's not something that anybody looks at and thinks, this is a fun thing to teach on. Let's teach on suffering. Because nobody wants to think about that. And yet, I know that one of the elders of our church here, pastor, I... There needs to be foundations that are built that are so rock solid on the character, the nature of our God that when these storms come, you stand. I pray that that would take place. And I, I pray that if you've gone through just incredible trials or difficulties to, to a place where that foundation wasn't there, that, that on a morning like this that we would build one. That you would leave this place maybe saying, I still don't understand why. But if God wants to use this to work, that the works of God should be revealed in him, I'll submit to whatever it is that he thinks is necessary for his glory. This isn't looking at a doctrine that is solely based on this particular text. Um, this, this text is telling us that this man was born blind, that the works of God should be revealed in him. There was a plan in it. Exodus 4.11, the Lord says, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? The awesome verse. God's saying, don't I make people blind? Don't don't I make people able to see? Don't I make people that are mute? Don't I make people deaf? Is it not I, the Lord, that makes them? What a glorious thing for us to understand. Then when when we look and we see in in Scripture that God tells us that he, he fashions us, he forms us while we're in our mother's womb. To, to be at a place of going to the person who's handicapped and say, and yes, he did that for you too. He formed you and he made you and he did it so that you would be like this. He made you like that and it was for his glory. It was so that his works might be revealed in you. To, to know that we serve a God who does not make mistakes. We serve a God who's not looking and saying, okay, I don't know what to do now. What do we do? He, he is not like that. We find in Scripture the opposite to be the case, where he says things like, as believers, you can know that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. We serve a God who says things like, our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. It's just radical. It's radical to know that that there's not going to be an earthquake that causes the ocean floor to drop a few feet that's going to cause a tsunami that's going to kill over 100,000 people, but God had no control over it. I mean, we, we see disaster. We see horrific disaster. And to be at a place of, okay, I, don't, I may not ever know why that happened, but I do know that God's sovereign over it. There's not a cancer cell that is outside of his sovereign hand. There, there, there's not a wave that's outside of his control. 
There's not a terrorist with exacto knives that's outside of his control. They meant it for evil. Without a doubt, they're responsible. They did it. God is not the author of sin, yet he is sovereign over everything. He decrees things to take place. Doesn't take the responsibility away from horrible terrorists. I was there on ground zero of the place where the embassy got bombed in Nairobi. They're looking at buildings, windows shot out all over the place. And there with, with little Esther and Ruth and Mary and Joseph that are there. And they're just from the ages of 13 down saying, we can't find our mommy. We can't find her anywhere. She went to go get her diploma, and we can't find her anywhere, only to find that the explosion took place, and she was in a bus, and the glass hit her, and she died. Spending the next several days with them, taking them on safari, going with them, singing worship songs with them in the car everywhere you go, and you're looking just like, if you could find the guys that did this to their mommy, you, you, you wanted to. I mean, to me, I wanted to so badly. Let's get these guys. Whoever it is that is making these kids just weep like this. And I look at it, those terrorists, they are responsible for what they did. But to know that God's in control of that is vital for us as believers. To have a view of God that may say, I don't understand. I, don't, I may not understand why this has happened. But we serve a God who's sovereign, and we serve a God who's in control, and we serve a God who, who had his son come and take all of the pain and anguish and sin and death upon himself so that we would be able to have newness of life and have our sin removed and be at a place where he'd wipe away every tear and he'd make us new creations, and those that were blind would be made able to see, and those who were lame would be made able to walk, and we would spend eternity with him where there is no sin, there is no suffering. All those things are gone, and they've all become new. To serve a God who is like that, who is sovereign over everything that exists in this universe, to me is the only foundation in which we can stand on. Because there are going to be times where you're going to say, I don't get it. I don't know. How is this ever going to be used for your glory? But then you look throughout history and you look and you say, but I see a God who does that. And I may not understand on this side of eternity, but he does know. I may not ever know, but he does know. And there's not a child that's born blind that's outside of his sovereign control. Um, Some of the Things that have been most helpful to me is what one's found from the Heidelberg Catechism that was written in, in 1563. And it, it was written with 52 questions that you were to go over with your kids for one week out of the year. And you go through throughout the entirety of the year. Question 26, what believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Well, what does that mean? I mean, when I say I believe in God, that he is almighty, that he is the maker of heaven and earth, what does that mean? And the answer is that the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his son, my God and my father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body and further that he'll make whatever evils he sends upon me in the valley of tears turn out to my advantage for he's able to do it being almighty, 
being Almighty God, and he's willing being a faithful father. There's a lot in that text, right? There's a lot in that answer. But he's saying he governs things. By his eternal counsel, he governs everything that takes place. And he is able to turn it towards my advantage because he is Almighty God. And he is a faithful father. So the next question that comes up, well, what do you mean by the providence of God? What does providence mean? I know it's a city. I know that there's hospitals that are called Providence. I know that there was a TV show that lasted for a little while called Providence. I never saw it, but the name caught me. I'm sure it was horrific. But what what does it mean by the providence of God? What does that mean? And the answer that's given is this. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds. So with his hand, he upholds and he governs heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Radical. Things that come upon us, they don't come upon us by chance, but by his fatherly hand. To me, this just builds foundations for me, where I look and I think, I, don't, I may not know why this happens, but it didn't count, come upon me by chance. It's not that I was just unlucky. It, it came for a reason, by his fatherly hand, for his glory, and I may not understand this on this side of eternity, but I can exalt him and trust him and worship him, even in the midst of it. The next question is, well, What advantage is it to us to know that God created by his providence and still upholds all things? What advantage is it to us to be here this morning and to hear God made him blind? What advantage is it to us to know that there's no cancer cell that's outside of his control? to, To what advantage is it to us to know that the ocean floor doesn't drop several feet without his control, without his sovereign hand? The answer that's given is this. That we might be patient in adversity. Well, why does this matter? So that you could be patient in adversity. So that you could be thankful in prosperity. And that in all things which may befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father. That nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand. That without his will, they cannot so much as move. That's why it matters. It matters because when trials come, you'll have a foundation that you're able to stand on. And you look and say, I'm going to be patient. I know that he can use this to work in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I know that he can make it so I can count it all joy, knowing that the, the testing of my faith, it will produce patience in and. And the patience will have its perfect work that I might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I know that he is molding me and he's conforming me into his image. I know that when things are good and there's prosperity and things are going well and health is there, that it didn't come to me by chance but by his fatherly hand. I don't look at the blessings as the result of my brilliance or my own righteousness, but all the result of his grace. It makes us thankful. 
but it gives us a firm trust in a faithful God. We, we see it in Scripture throughout all of Scripture. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your, father, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We see it throughout all of Scripture. We see it with the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where he says, Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness? That, that terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water. Who led you there? Who took you into that particular place during your guys' lives where you couldn't find water? Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know? That he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. I love sections like that because I've never been in a place where I'm starving to death, clearly. I've never been at the place where, where I'm dying of thirst and I just can't, I, I don't know how I could survive another moment. I, I carry water with me when I'm in places where that might happen. Um, I had a, in Sudan, I brought with me this I think it was made by Avion in a pink and white bottle. Um, this stuff that unfortunately said on the label spritzer. And I'm with guys from our church here, and they're making fun of me. Like, cute, where'd you get that from? That's so precious. That's so cute. You know, like Victoria's Secret, where did you get that from? <laughs> Until I started spraying myself with it. And then they sprayed themselves with it. <laughs> I sold that bottle for $1,000 on that trip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, like, I'm like the spritzer guy. I'll, I'll bring that. I'll bring that with me on the trip to make sure that, that I'm a little bit more comfortable. And yet, God's saying, I, I brought water for you out of the Flinty Rock. I fed you in the wilderness with manna. I did that. I, I did this so that I would humble you and I might test you to do you good in the end. You may look at your life and you may see times where you've gone down like just incredible valleys. He's led you to that area. Trials, difficulties that you never expected, you never wanted, you never hoped for. You, you, you looked at your life, you never thought I'd ever go down to a place like that. And God's saying, I did that to humble you, possibly, to test you, to do you good in the end. It was for your good in the end. And we see that he does that. There are times in which suffering comes upon and it is discipline. Be sure of that. There are times where it is discipline. You find that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 where it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord. Do not be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son from whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. God disciplines us if we need discipline sometimes. And he can discipline us with a spanking. My little girl, Natalie, she's an amazing young lady, four years old. But she gets disciplined because she's mine and I love her. Um, sometimes I discipline in ways that are wrong because I don't know all things. But that's not how God is. He always disciplines, right? The other day she was at church and we have, she, she takes her shoes off and she's not supposed to take her shoes off unless daddy says you can take your shoes off because I don't like putting them back on. And <laughs> she took her shoes off and I asked her, Natalie, why did you take your shoes off? And she said, because mommy said I could take my shoes off. Well, she hadn't seen mommy for like hours. And I said, really? Did mommy really say that you could take your shoes off? Yes. Really? So if I call mommy right now, she'll say that you said, that she said that you could take your shoes off. Yes. Okay, we're calling right now. I'm trying to call her bluff. Call her. Sweetheart, did you say that now they could take your shoes off? <laughs> yeah, I did. Why? Because they were on the wrong feet. So I told her she could take them off when she gets to the church. (laughs) Natalie was so happy to hear this. (laughs) But the best part was we're driving away and she's like, Daddy, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe me. You didn't didn't believe me when, when I said that mommy said I could take my shoes off. You thought I lied. You thought I lied even though she says, this is the first time in that this is the first day in all my life I didn't lie and you didn't believe me. (laughs) And I think she might be right in that. It was amazing. This is the first day in all my life I told the truth and you did not believe me. God disciplines us, doesn't he? Just like we do to our kids when we love them. But there are times where it's not discipline at all. We see that with Job. Circumstance in which Job is a righteous man, fears God, shuns evil. He hears Satan that comes, that God comes to and says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. Blameless, upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Satan says to God, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about, around him? around his household and around all those that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands and the possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and his possessions, um, I'm sorry, now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went away from the presence of the Lord. We're told that, that Job had... Seven sons, three daughters, um, 7,000 sheep, 7,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a, large, a very large household. And in one day, everything's taken away. All of his possessions, all of his kids, everything's taken away. His response is, 
tearing his robe and shaving his head and falling to the ground and worshiping. His response was saying, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This wasn't a circumstance in which there was evil that had been done. This is a circumstance in which God's saying, have you considered my servant Job? Everybody watching on, what is Job going to do? What is he going to do? And yet, he worships. Satan says to God, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord says, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Boils everywhere. And Job's response when his wife says to him, just curse God and die. Just die. It would be better for you to die. You have boils all over your entire body. You're in incredible pain. Just curse him and die. And he says to her, why do you speak like the foolish women speak? Should we not accept good from God and not also adversity? Radical. I mean, just a a theology that brings him to a place of, it came from God. And it says after that, in all these things, he didn't sin or curse God with wrong. It wasn't, well, no, it wasn't God. It was Satan. Satan's the one that put the boils on you. There there was a, a knowledge that God was sovereign over it all. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Should we not accept good from God and not also adversity? To be in a place of knowing that there's spiritual warfare, there's battles that go around us all the time, and to be in a place of Satan may be doing all kinds of stuff to me, but the bottom line is God is sovereign over it all, and there's nothing that's outside of his control. God help me to respond in a way of worship, even in the most horrific of circumstances. There's things that take place also in which God just uses it to glorify himself. Remember when Lazarus was sick? And when Jesus heard about it, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. He's sick, but it is that God would be glorified through it. You may be sick this morning but it may be for his glory that that has taken place. To have a view that just trusts him, that says, I don't understand why, but trusting him. Having a foundation that says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'm going to return. It's the Lord that gives and it's the Lord that takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Should I not accept good from God and not also adversity? I trust him. He's going to work in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's going to mold me and he's going to conform me into his image. He started the good work. He'll be faithful to complete it. He's a God that promises us that he works all things together for good to those who love him and who are the called. And so we come to it. We have our text here before us. Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answers, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. There is a purpose. There is a purpose in it. 
that man for the entirety of his life did not know what that purpose was. But there was a time when Jesus was going to come and he was going to spit into the ground and he was going to put it in the man's eyes and he was going to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And he was going to be able to see for the first time and Christ was going to be exalted. There was a purpose to it. In the same way there's a purpose with that man, there is a purpose in everything that we go through. To mold us, to shape us, to be used for his glory, to humble us, to cause us to depend upon him, to make it so that we respond to adversity in a way that the world is unable to do. We're able to have a peace that would pass all understanding. We're able to worship in the midst of just incredible trials. But we serve a God who is in control. I'll be the first to admit that there are times in this life where something happens and you have no idea how this will ever be used for his glory. And yet our ways are not his ways. He knows things far different than we do. Spend time in Job chapter 38 and following to see how God responds to Job as far as were you there when I did all of these things? God exalts himself in such a way that he is here and Job says, I'm nothing. I'll put my hand over my mouth. I'm done talking. And he trusts him. May we do that on this day. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for that man that was born blind. Um, What a picture that is for us that are going through trials or that have trials in the forefront of our paths that we don't know that are even there. May we know that there's a purpose to the things that you do. And when we don't know the answer to what that purpose is, Lord, there may be some here that just say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't think I'll ever understand. In those times, may we, may we trust you. When we're saying like the Apostle Paul, Lord, I've asked you three times to take this thorn from my flesh. May we hear the words of our God that just simply say, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength's made perfect in your weakness. May we trust a God who knows all things and knows how to mold us and to shape us and to use circumstances to bring glory and honor to yourself just as you did with the Israelites and just as you did with Job and just as you did with Peter and just as you have done in the life of Paul and of all of the saints that have gone before us. I pray, Lord, that that knowledge of just your majesty and your power would lead to peace and would lead to joy and would lead to thanksgiving and would lead to patience even in the midst of incredible adversity. May you now be exalted to the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.